quality. It's always been a big thing, but it's going to be even more of a differentiator as we move into this time where anyone can write like an okay article for the most part um, or scale their content with okay articles for the most part. Um, so I don't think you should we should ever get to a point where we're blindly trusting AI to create content for us, but I think it can help um, get maybe the first iterations or maybe a rough outline out and then it's up to the humans to really add those differentiating factors of experience of of real data of of expertise uh, into the content we all strive for more nowadays more traffic more revenue more growth in this never-ending battle for more it's easy to forget what's important so what is important building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com awt and sign up for free. And now, back to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO Show. I'm your host, George Cassiotis, and today I'm very happy and excited to be joined by Bianca Anderson. Bianca works as an SEO strategist at HubSpot, a company we, we all know, where she helps spearhead the SEO strategy for the core blog properties. With a background in nonprofit and agency work, Bianca brings a diverse range of skills and experience to her role. And Happy to finally have someone from HubSpot um, because, you know, it, it's a company that we all know when it comes to, you know, marketing, content marketing, SEO. Bianca, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you for that excellent intro. <laughs> so I said a few things, you know, as part of this intro, but I would like to hear a few more things from, from you when it comes to your journey and your background and what brought you to, you know, HubSpot and what you do today? Yeah. So when I look at my SEO journey thus far, I'd say it all started um, at my first real digital marketing role um, at the Adler Planetarium here in Chicago. Uh, it was a wonderful uh, experience. I got to try on a lot of different digital marketing hats. A lot of the work I did, um, at least at the start, was centered around email marketing campaigns, both um, internal communications and external monthly newsletters that we would send out to members and uh, patrons of the planetarium. Uh, I think my uh, peak or of interest uh, in SEO started uh, when I began writing for the blog there, uh, the Adler Scope. Uh, at the time, it was it was relatively new, um, and I had two running series that uh, were monthly. Uh, that I wrote for. One was Chicago's Black Women in Steam, 
uh, which involved me interviewing uh, local women in Chicago who were doing really exciting um, endeavors in science, technology, et cetera. Um, and then I had another uh, series called Astrofan, which is where I talked about some of my favorite astronomical phenomenon. Um, I'm a huge space fan, by the way, so this was all a lot of fun. Um, and from those writing escapades or whatnot, I started to naturally get pushed into SEO, wanting to do keyword research, wanting to do um, link building. Uh, and so uh, that really started to spark my interest. And um, my manager at the time, Megan Lothamer, she did a really good job in kind of directing me to SEO. And um, in 2020, there was a massive layoff. So two thirds of everyone on in the plan planetarium was laid off and I was part of that. And I remember I had uh, some conversations with my manager at the time, not quite sure where I wanted to go in my career, my digital marketing career. Do I, do I want to continue with email marketing? Do I want to continue pursuing SEO? And she really uh, encouraged me to do SEO because she saw something there. Uh, and so uh, I did. And um, shortly after my time at the ad there, I started working at a full service agency also based in Chicago and got to work uh, in a very diverse range of industries. One day I was working with clients who specialized in hip surgery. The next I was working with clients that had AI gun detection as their main product. So um, I really got a taste of uh, a lot of different approaches to SEO um, within the agency world, uh, within the startup space, within the small to medium sized business space as well. And so uh, that was a really nice uh, journey as well. And um, while I was at the agency, I got approached by our current uh, director of global growth here at HubSpot, Asia Frost, on LinkedIn. She messaged me, the tagline or subject line was, hey, do you want to work at HubSpot? And I was like, yes, I want to work at HubSpot. This is awesome. Uh, and so I've been here for a little over a year and a half now. It's been a wonderful journey. Um, I'm currently uh, the project manager for um, a core deliverable for the blog Ian SEO program, and that is called the Burr um, Blog Insights Report. It's a monthly deliverable where we uh, provide an extensive list of briefs uh, for the blog team to then take on for their writing. Um, so yeah, it's been a great journey. And I think that sums up uh, how I got here. <laughs> we will, it sure does. We will discuss more about Housewood and your role there. But I would like to ask a question to your then manager, if she still sees a future in SEO, you know, with all the changes that happen right now. Uh, it's pretty challenging, right? I know, what What do you think? Is, is there a future in, in SEO? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I have, I myself have had those moments where, you know, it's late at night and I'm wondering, is my career, is my career choice a safe one? Like, is there, um, is there a future with it? And I think what helps kind of ground me is just researching or Googling um, articles that were written in the past, like 10 years or so ago, claiming or proclaiming that SEO was dead and seeing how wrong those were. Um, no, I absolutely think that there is a future in SEO. I think there's a future uh career in SEO if, if people are interested in, in joining it, if they haven't already. Um, people people love content. People love uh, navigating websites and, and getting the information that they need. And I think um, as long as that's the case, which I think is going to be for a very long time, uh, SEO will remain relevant in some capacity. Now it's going to look a lot different probably, but it will be here for sure. Yeah. And we will discuss about this, uh, this like changes. Um, but Going back to like uh, where you're at right now, a question we ask all guests is to share a couple of things about the company they're working at. I mean, I guess we, we all know HubSpot, 
also disclaimer we are a HubSpot customer so we we use HubSpot for our uh, you know CRM uh, as our CRM tool um, but for people who are not aware of uh, HubSpot can you please share a couple of things about HubSpot uh, what the tool does who is a typical customer and and so on yeah so um, HubSpot is a CRM software uh, we have a lot of different hubs or a lot of different um, niches that we cater to we have a marketing hub uh, which I believe is the OG or original hub. Uh, we also have a service hub, a sales hub, um, and a CMS hub. Uh, so I think the great thing about these hubs is they can work as a standalone integration. Um, but I think the beauty of the product and the um, ease of use of the product really comes into play when you start working with two or more hubs. Uh, and I think that's one of the biggest drawing factors to our clientele. We predominantly cater to small, medium-sized businesses. Um, people who are in marketing or in, or in the niches that we target it and that are a part of these smaller, medium-sized businesses. Typically, they wear a lot of hats. Um, and so the thought of integrating a CRM into their pre-existing processes can seem really daunting. But with HubSpot, the, the barrier to entry is really low for a couple of reasons. One, um, I think it's just very it's a very intuitive software to use. It does not take a lot to really start to glean how to maneuver it. Um, and then secondly, the the there's a lot of freemium offers. Uh, you can kind of test the waters. Uh, we recently, relatively recently lost, launched CMS free. Um, so potential customers can start using our CMS with little cost of their own. Uh, so I think that's really an appeal to uh, who we target, which is those, those SMBs. Now, HubSpot uh, is an example we all have in our minds because uh, as as I see it, it is a company that wrote the in, inbound marketing, quote unquote, playbook, yeah. which was used by the company and I assume served the company well for many years. Yeah. Do you think that the same playbook can work in 2023 for companies starting with inbound marketing or companies that have a, an already established program and want to expand that program? Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, I Even before I joined HubSpot, I was very much an inbound marketing, uh, uh, what, what is the word, cheerleader? Like I very much believed in in that type of uh, methodology of, of like of approaching marketing. Um, and I think that what makes it such a strong playbook, what makes it so relevant is that it's it's truly the practices that are proposed in it are evergreen. So, you know, I think companies are always going to want to build strong relationships with their customer base. I think they're always going to want to, quote unquote, engage and delight their customer base with their content by creating really novel and valuable experiences. I think that all of that um, will still stand for many years to come. I think it may look like how it's actually executed might look differently. So, um, for example, uh, with inbound marketing, there's a huge emphasis on content and experience. Um, and in the past, those types of things have been, you know, gated assets or uh, gated templates, gated, gated things that um, can draw users in and, and 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 to gain leads. I think that as we move into um, this AI age, I guess we're already in it, but we're we're still in the infancy of it in in a way, uh, a lot of ways. So I think as we move into that, those assets are going to change the, the value that users perceive of those assets is going to change. I mean, with ChatGPT as it is, you can ask it to write you out a memo and or an outline. And and so that that might, a type of content or type of experience might take the place of a traditional asset. But 
that said, I think um, inbound marketing is is here to stay. And if I were um, someone, uh, a part of an organization that was looking to incorporate it um, into pre-existing processes, I think I would just look at it as scaffolding to build things around, um, to kind of ground your strategy. Um, so that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you can always ask yourself, are we kind of drawing towards this goal of, of creating engaging experiences and content and, and ultimately building long lasting relationships with our customers? But yes, inbound marketing here to stay. And I'm not just saying that because I work with HubSpot, work at HubSpot. <laughs> One of your, uh, primary responsibilities is to manage HubSpot's English blog as your strategy. And I would like to, to know what are the main pillars of this strategy or main areas of focus for you? Is it to maintain what you have? Is it to expand and like get visibility for more terms? Um, yes. Yeah. So I think, um, not to sound, I hope this doesn't sound too nebulous, but if I had to pinpoint this to a few pillars, I'd say one, um, with the work that we do and the strategies that we implement, I think we want them always to be agile and proactive. Um, I think a prime example of that is with the blog insight support that I mentioned earlier. This used to be something that was done on a quarterly basis. Uh, so we would work on it uh, over the course of three months and then it would be released um, to the blog team um, as a handoff at the end of the quarter. Um, we switched over to a monthly cadence about a year ago and one of the main driving reasons for that is we really wanted to have the briefs be as timely as possible. So drawing in on um, new emerging products, new emerging trends in, in the topics that we touch on. Um, so I think that agility is really important, especially, I mean, I think the SERPs have just seen a lot of volatility, um, especially, I mean, they're always volatile, but in the last year in particular, I've just, my, personally, it's it's the most volatile I've seen them. Um, and so keeping an agile uh, angle to your strategy or to our strategy is really important to us. Um, and you touched on it, but I think preservation is really key as well. Um, the HubSpot blog has been around for a very long time. We have an extensive catalog of articles. And um, as, when you look at the natural life cycle of a blog, you know, you typically have this uptick, this really nice exponential uptick of keywords that you're targeting and ranking for and the subsequent traffic that comes with that. Um, but naturally, there comes a time where you have started to exhaust a lot of the avenues that you could you were exploring. Um, and so the goal kind of starts to shift between simply just targeting new content and um, from that from that to preserving the content that you have. And so I think preservation is a very um, important aspect of of the strategies and the tactics that we implement um, on a day to day, month to month uh, cadence. And then lastly, uh, something that we're moving into right now, so it's very new, uh, is is a centering on um, alignment between Google search systems and, and what it is we do, particularly with EAT. Uh, I think that if you start to organize your strategy around these types of systems, naturally you can become uh, more of a powerhouse in in the topics that you talk about. You can establish more of a presence of more of um, uh, of, a, of a level of trust between uh, your company or your your, your blog and, and your readers. And um, so I think those are the core types of things that we really center uh, everything we do and everything we propose around. I would like to expand on all three, but I will start with the, the last one and ask, what actions are you taking to kind of prepare for the change that's coming? And... Um, I mean, 
on on a very practical level, if you could share any like tips or things or even frameworks or on how like people should think about about these changes. Yeah. Um, so I think it all, so we recently just, I just sent out memos regarding our playbook for, uh, approaching EAT and a post SGE landscape. And, um, what really helped me when I, when, when I was working with my colleagues to kind of ideate on how to go about this was, um, first going to the source. So going to Google search central and seeing the, the exact language that they use, um, uh, or that they recommend, uh, that content creators use when checking their sites for uh for against eat best practices um so i guess in terms of like practical tips i'd recommend going straight to the source going to google search central seeing what it is that they think um qualifies as lying under the realm of expertise lying under the realm of uh, experience but from there i think uh my experience when navigating that is sometimes the recommendations are not super actionable they're a little they can be a little vague um, and so I think the next step from there is to make them as actionable as possible. Um, so for example, I think in Google Search Central, one of the questions that they pose is, or that they ask content creators to pose is, does my content sound like it's being written by an enthusiast or an expert? And that can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. So what we did is we started to branch out um, actionable items from that. So for example, uh, an internal term, I think we're gonna start using a lot at HubSpot is something called productive perspectives. So it's really um, just uh, emphasizing on the importance of having our authors really not shy away from using their voice when they're creating content. Um, and that can look like a lot of different things. Um, one thing is just centering your experience with something throughout the post through and through by speaking in first person, by demoing the product that you're speaking of um, in, in a way that's really engaging. I think another thing that will be important is making really strong stances on topics. I think um, a hallmark of being an expert in something or having a, an experience of something is the ability to really draw uh, to draw from your experience to 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 make some statements that might even be controversial, not in like a bad way, but like in a thought provoking way. Um, so that's that's one of the ways is kind of just starting to reorient how we think about content being written and how um, we place our writers when they're writing content. Um, I think another actionable thing you can do is if you have a team of writers and they are um, writing on a varied amount of topics, I think it's important to make sure that you start to align their expertise um, with what they're writing about. So that is a very actionable thing um, that I think uh, companies can do and that we're hoping to start doing very soon. Um, and also utilizing the internal resources that you have. I mean, working at HubSpot, sometimes I feel a bit spoiled because we do have um, immense resources. Like we have a whole academy of uh, a team of, of academy leaders who who write these awesome courses that I myself have gotten certifications in before prior to working at HubSpot. And um, with that comes a wealth of knowledge, a, a wealth of opportunities for interlinking, for for references to this content within our own, um, so more collaboration. Uh, um, on, in a similar vein, we have a growth team that conducts some firsthand uh, research that I think is, can be really compelling. And um, we're working on having an internal data repository for our strategists to use as they're building out these, these, these pieces of content um, so that this data is uh, accessible to them. It's easy for them to find uh, in relation to what they're talking about. Um, so I think all of these things are very actionable, um, but 
I think starting with the source, so going straight to Google, seeing what it is that they consider to fall under the realm of these different categories of EEAT, uh, and then going from there to personalize those things within the context of what your your organization's currently capable of doing. Uh, I think that's a good a good start. It's very interesting that many of the things you shared are things that we also um, kind of uh, discuss internally and uh, have have already started communicating to our clients. Like you mentioned uh, productive perspectives, we call them search perspectives. And mm-hmm. you mentioned like uh, sharing your opinion and like being, yeah. having a like an opinion about something. And I mean, I searched a screenshot the other day on LinkedIn, which obviously resonated well uh, with, with people. And it was a screenshot, you know, by one of Google's articles on, uh, how they approach, how they will approach in the in the future, uh, helpful con, uh, helpful content, helpfulness. I'm sorry, yeah. and um, and they mention they repeat the same course over and over again, like perspectives, opinions, expertise, yeah. experience, first had experience, and so on. And you see this, and you're like, the company. Chances are that the company that you know to like because I kind of. I think that you know getting this article out there, uh, most likely it will you know pass through many different people, and most likely legal will also review this. So nothing in this kind of piece of text that you see is random there, right? So if they say something, you you definitely have to to pay attention, and you don't have to even read uh, between the lines, right? You just have to read the lines and and see what what is coming. And I think that you really hit the nail on the head because many of these things that you shared are things that we discuss internally and you know believe belong to the future of like uh, search, right? And content for a search audience and, and, and so on. Uh, so I'm very happy about that. Um, now back to the second pillar uh, or like area of focus, which is maintaining your content inventory. I don't know. I guess you have thousands of blog posts at this point in your yeah. English uh, blog. So I guess my question is, like, do you have any guardrails or like processes, in other mm-hmm. words, to ensure that, you know what, when something starts like um, showing a, like a, a negative trend, w- we take action immediately and we are proactive about it. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I mean, as you hit on our our repository of, of content is, is incredibly extensive. I mean, 9,000 plus URLs, uh, I believe, uh, if not more. Uh, uh, but um, it's so extensive, in fact, that we have a whole team um, called Historical Optimization, the Historical Optimizations team, that is dedicated to making sure that um, our content does not uh, have any degradation in quality um, or try to curtail that as much as possible. So that team does a lot of critically important work in in maintaining the immense catalog of content that we have. Um, most recently, they uh, under what they they went and did a, a very extensive audit of 4,000 of our oldest URLs, uh, and they graded them on um, within the context of freshness uh, to determine was this content really stale? Um, was it beyond repair? Is it just better to redirect this content or is it salvageable? Um, and from there, we're slowly starting to integrate these URLs into our BRRRR, our Blog Insights Report, um, so that they can be touched on because um, we don't want... Because uh, what what can happen is um, 
if you only approach your top performing pieces uh, or the pieces that are performing at all, um, it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where uh, the content uh, is performing all right. And so you're, you're optimizing it and it's performing well, but then the content that's not performing well isn't getting touched on because it's not even uh, hitting the radar of, of what's going on. Um, so I think that that content audit that, that the his ops team has done uh, is going to be really crucial in, in ensuring that we are being uh, proactive about um, making sure that our content is not growing stale. Additionally, on the SEO front, the blog SEO front, we have a couple of processes where we like to flag what we call dire updates. So these are um, URLs that we have uh, in the past. So so when working with HisOps, uh, for context, so when working with HisOps, we've developed um, tiering systems uh, that denote uh, how impactful essentially a URL is. Like, And this is based off of different KPIs like traffic, leads, signups. Um, so all of this is taken into account and there's tier one and tier two URLs. Now these are the URLs that drive the most traffic, that drive the most leads and signups on, on average. And then there's the tier three and tier four URLs. Um, so a lot of what HisOps does is in relation to those tier one and tier two. And a lot of what SEO does is relation to those tier three and tier four. Um, but we do have uh, some processes for flagging dire updates. Um, this was a process that was established um, long before I came on, and, I, and I'm a huge fan of it. Um, and basically, there's um, just a system of checks uh, to see, week, and it's done week over week and monthly, to see what URLs that are considered tier one or tier two are underperforming in a way that is um, that, that, that deviates from what we would consider to be a normal seasonal or just normal fluctuations. Um, and then that's flagged for um, what we call a dire update uh, and the HisOps team takes that on. Uh, so there's there's a lot of different ways that we're trying to tackle our, our inventory. Uh, most recently, uh, another example of this is uh, with the Blog Insights Report. We've done, we Historically, we do um, an, what we call an update bonanza uh, once a year. Uh, now, this update bonanza is just um, instead of having a brief a Blog Insights Report that consists solely of uh, net new posts and updates. Um, it's more focused on updates. Uh, and due to some analyses that were done in regards to the most recent March core update, uh, we found a strong correlation between content freshness and negative performance. So we decided to extend that update into um, more than just a one-off once a year thing. So now we've done two consecutive update bonanzas. Um, we're currently working on the second one as, as we speak. Um, and those are the way that we've decided what content is getting put on that is through screaming frog pools of um, the last touch date of these pieces. And so we're trying to prioritize topic clusters that haven't been touched um, on average in a longer time uh, to help promote freshness, freshness in the blog. So it's, it's a very um, involved process with many different collaborators. Um, I really give credit a lot of that to uh, the historic optimizations team because the work that they do is just so imperative to us maintaining that catalog. But yeah, it's a very involved thing. <laughs> Speaking of optimization, uh, while researching for this episode, we we came across a heavy heater process you have developed for optimizing blog posts. Can you please speak about that process and explain, you know, uh, say a few things about what the process is all about? Yeah, so the, the heavy hitter process is an expansion on the work that was done when creating the dire uptake criteria process. Um, so it takes it to a next level, though, because we found when speaking with um, our lead and signups teams, 
um, that there is a small subset, a small cohort of URLs that contribute a disproportionate amount of leads and signups to the blog. So as I said, there's 9,000 plus blogs on the HubSpot blog, but 30 of our URLs contribute to a nearly a quarter of all of our blog's leads, which is insane. And it really hones in on the importance of those cohorts. Um, so we keep an extra, extra close eye on these uh, URLs. So the, the heavy hitter um, process is also a weekly and monthly one. Um, the main caveats from this process and the dire update process in which it's it's inspired from is that it's just a lot more sensitive to changes in um, traffic, to changes in keyword positions, because we recognize that one of these URLs can, you know, if, if the if the performance of one of them goes down, that can have a disproportionate impact on our final numbers. So it's just about um, creating uh, a more sensitive way to analyze these URLs. Um, we have set up Looker dashboards, um, Looker Studio dashboards. Um, and, and sorry, uh, quick segue. I know uh, Google Data Studio recently changed its name to Looker Studio, and it's so hard for me to remember remember that change. But yes, we use Looker Studio um, dashboards to create um, customized uh, or personalized uh, views of these uh, cohorts. Uh, we've separated them from heavy hitter signups. So the most, the top 30 heavy hitter uh, for signups that generate the most signups disproportionately. And then the top uh, 30 or so for leads as well. Um, so it's been a great, it's been a really great experience um, dealing with this process. And I think it's also helped build relationships between the blog SEO team and our conversion team and our signups teams, um, which has been really exciting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of things, other things you've developed, uh, we saw you, you've established a process for analyzing Google algorithm updates. And also you, you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, finding a correlation between the like March's, let's say, um, algorithm update with, um, freshness and um, can you please explain what this process is all about and how you can um, analyze Google algorithm updates and maybe like identify them and, and see what you know may play a role here in this update? Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. So for context, this is another example of just building upon pre-existing processes. So um, uh, my colleague Bianca Diagostino created an awesome algorithm update uh, process that was very and is very methodical and measured and just um, a great way to just make sure you're being uh, you're checking all of your dotting all your T what is it what is the expression crossing all your T's and dotting all your I's when it comes to these things the one caveat of that is though naturally an algorithm update and analysis is going to be a very time intensive uh, process that requires a lot of resources I mean these things can take anywhere from two to five days of full work, uh, depending on how severe or how tricky things get. Um, so what I did was I just added another layer to the work that Bianca had already done. Um, so I called this the algorithm update analysis criteria. So it's um, a phased approach to kind of measuring the waters or, or testing out the waters to make sure, one, uh, are we being impacted enough for uh, a full-blown analysis that's going to take all these resources uh, to take place, like to happen. Um, and also to try to get like a, a pulse on what actually is being affected. Um, so the way the algo update analysis criteria works is um, there's a phase one. And basically we're just asking two questions. One, has a Google algorithm update finished its rollout? Uh, that's uh, a very 
simplistic one, but it's important. Um, and then the two, the second one that's kind of in relation to that is has cert volatility subsided enough for us to start making observations and subsequently action items uh, from those observations. And so we like to use like a third party tool um, like Rank Ranger. They have a really nice sample size of domains that they use to suss out um, how volatile the surface are. I think it's like 10,000 plus domains. Um, so that's phase one. So once those answers are checked, yes. Okay, then we go into phase two and that's when we look at our core KPIs and how they're performing within uh, a pre-algo update context and a post one. Um, and so the main KPIs that we look at, um, one, traffic, of course, uh, and then there's a baseline uh, that we measure it against. So the baseline is based off of the average traffic deltas that we noted in the past year or so. So if anything drops below that average uh, delta that we would expect, that's kind of cause for, okay, something's going on. This isn't just normal seasonality or fluctuation. Um, and then step two is we measure or look at our most important keyword buckets, so keywords ranking in positions one through three, because we know that these are the ones that are driving the most clicks. And if there's also like there's also a baseline that was established um, by looking at averages, uh, delta averages. Um, if we dip below that uh, baseline, that's another cause for concern. Um, and then the third one is leads. How are our leads performing? Um, because that's a very core KPI. And so if two of the three of those checks are made um, are met, we then know that we can classify this as being um, a very uh, a strong um, algo update that has impacted our performance. And we need to move on to the full-blown algorithm update analysis uh, that will take a long time, not a long time, but like, you know, two to five days of work. So um, to really be thorough and make sure that we're checking all of the uh, possibilities. Um, in terms of how we actually go about the algorithm update analysis itself, it can vary uh, based off of what we're hearing industry-wide. Like, do we think that this particular update is affecting page experience? If not, that might, if, if so, that might inform what we're looking into. And that kind of was the case with this most recent March core update. Um, so what we do is we do, we form like a little sample size of URLs. We, we look at the underperforming URLs or the URLs that had significant declines um, post-update. Then we look at the URLs that had um, positive improvements post-update to have like um, a point of reference or comparison. And then we just start uh, trying to do the process of elimination, looking at Google search systems and what they consider to be important for ranking. Again, things like page experience that kept popping up when we were doing the analysis in March. And um, from there, we look for strong correlations um, among the negative cohort. Um, and what typically helps us make a firm decision is if we see a strong correlation correlation with a negative cohort um, and a not so strong correlation with a positive one, because it tells us, oh, there's something at play here. Um, and that's how we ultimately uh, started to suss out that page experience was uh, a factor in, in what we were seeing uh, post-March core update. I would like to shift gears a bit and discuss um, Google's SG, uh, which is uh, an acronym for um, search generative experience. First of all, ha have you tried it? Yeah, so we actually all did uh, a fun internal uh, demo walkthrough uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, and yeah, I, I, I thought it was a very enlightening experience. Um, I think one thing I was surprised of was how how much it kind of reminded me, at least at first glance, of you know your traditional cert featured snippet um, box that appears uh, for certain queries. Um, that was interesting. Um, the, the load times were kind of longer. Uh, 
we noted that certain links might have been broken or, or not directing to the right place. And so I think I think the takeaway from that session was that this is very much kind of like an MVP, a minimally viable product that Google has kind of set out to the world just to start getting their feet uh, in the race, I think, of the of the whole AI race that's going on between them and, and uh, Bing and whatnot. Um, so I, I think as it stands, there's a lot and I know, I know that they're iterating on it as we speak. There's so many changes that they're going to do for this this new form of search. Um, so I think, uh, I think, I think, it, I think you can kind of look at it as maybe it, it buying your team time to start being proactive about how you're going to approach this new type of search. Because as it stands, I don't personally see uh, it being much more of a value add than what we currently see on the SERPs. Uh, but I, I know for a fact, you know, it's Google they are not, this is not the final product of it. Um, and so I, you know, I anticipate that what we end up seeing as the final project is going to look a lot different than what we're currently seeing now. Yeah. I mean, this is the beta version. And, uh, I think when they get to a point where, you know, when they will release a public version, I, I hope that it will be, you know, significantly better than what we see right now, which obviously has limitations, but as you mentioned, like it's an MVP. And uh, it will get better or worse, depending on how you see it. Uh, I don't know. I guess time will tell. Um, you recently were featured on uh, an, an article on using AI in your day-to-day tasks as part of your role. Can you yeah. talk about the best use cases you've identified uh, so far? Yeah. So me personally, <clears throat> sorry, I've been using AI more so as like a virtual assistant. Uh, it's been a memo heavy few months uh, in response to all of the news of SGE and whatnot. And so I've been using AI, uh, We uh, HubSpot has their own internal chat GPT alternative called HubGPT. Um, it's essentially chat GPT, but with some better security restrictions to prevent the leaking of important data and whatnot. Um, so I've been utilizing HubGPT a lot for building out marketing memos, like really the bare bones of it. There's still a lot of human work that needs to be done, but it helps to organize your thoughts um, I've been using it, uh, again, in, in a virtual assistant style to um, read uh, Zoom call transcripts and give me my takeaways for a meeting if I wasn't able to take notes. Um, so that's how I've been personally using it. But I have seen secondhand uh, a lot of other use cases. Uh, for example, we recently um, started a massive project for multimedia optimization, um, another response to the March Core update. And um, a colleague of mine has an, who has no Python experience whatsoever was able to use ChatGPT to create a Python script for mass converting images from um, into WebP, uh, WebP format, which is uh, the desired format that we want for this project, uh, which I thought her, her process, she told me it the other day, and I was just so taken aback, like how 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 amazingly simple it seemed. Like she would just um, ask, ChatGPT to produce a certain type of code to do a certain ter- certain type of thing would test it out and be like, okay, this is this is good, but this isn't good, and then a new iteration would pop up. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. Um, in terms of uh, for the Ian Blog SEO program, we are currently in the process of working to automate about fifty percent of the instruction writing work that we do when we're doing blog insight the blog insights reports. Um, and that's being spearheaded by my colleague, Josh, uh, who has done excellent work in making it very, um, the UX very friendly for this. 
piece and um, what we anticipate happening with this, we're, we're piloting it this month, but what we anticipate happening is that AI is going to be in the background doing like 50% of these instructions. And par so parallel work is going to be going on where AI is doing its thing. And we are starting to do our own um, instructions. And this freed up time is going to allow us to be a little bit more, uh, have, to, to give our instructions a little bit more breath, a little bit more context, and most importantly, a lot more focus on those EAT uh, initiatives that I kind of touched on earlier. Would you trust it to write content for the blog? Not blindly, not blindly. I think the thing with S with um, AI is that the barrier to entry for writing okay content has gotten a lot lower. Um, you can the barrier to entry for scaling content has gotten a lot lower. But with that said, I think quality as it's always been a big thing, but it's going to be even more of a differentiator as we move into this time where anyone can write like an okay article for the most part um, or scale their content with okay articles for the most part. Um, so I don't think you should we should ever get to a point where we're blindly trusting AI to create content for us, but I think it can help um, get maybe the first iterations or maybe a rough outline out and then it's up to the humans to really add those differentiating factors of experience, of of real data, of of expertise uh, into the content. But it's, it's definitely going to help. It's going to be a huge help for sure. One question we ask to all, uh, or, you know, almost every guest here at the podcast is uh, regarding the future of, of SEO for SaaS companies. And uh, we kind of touched on certain things that you believe belong to the future. Uh, we touched on EAT and uh, some like changes uh, we anticipate there and how you prepare for these changes, um, which is great because you're proactive about it. What do you think the, the future holds for, for SaaS SEO? Yeah, I mean, I'm optimistic. I think, well, for sure, I'm optimistic from the standpoint of the our target audience and the experience that they're, that they're going to have on search. Um, it's going to be such a personalized experience. It's gonna, They're going to find their answers probably quicker than they ever have before. Um, so that's going to be like, I think, end up being an objectively better experience for our target audience, our target searchers. Um, on the end of the SEOs who are creating the content for our target audience and target searchers, um, I think that, again, honing in on those productive perspectives um, to really differentiate your content from the, the inevitable mass of content that's going to be scaled uh, by AI is going to be key. Um, I think, and I, and there's, there's not, this isn't a new idea or, or, or prediction, but I do think that the first three or so, the now more than ever, the first three positions are going to be what matters. And I mean, it's, I think we're already to that point in a lot of ways, but I think it's going to be even more visible. Um, Yeah, I think, yeah, I, but I, I'm hopeful. I think that uh, these changes, especially like particularly the ones that we're planning on making at HubSpot, it's only going to make our content better, more reliable, more enjoyable, more engaging. And so for that, I think that is for sure a silver lining of all of this uh, AI, SGE uh, waves. Yeah, because regardless of what happens with search, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what matters, right? Uh, many of the things that we discussed are positive changes that, yeah. you know, if, if a person reads something and they see the, like the opinion of, of, of another human being or 
like a, a different perspective that they haven't thought of, I mean, this will, you know, sit better or will resonate better than like having a piece of corn that's okay. Um, so that was all very insightful. Uh, last question I have for you, Bianca. Where can people find out more and get in touch if they'd like to? Yeah, I'm starting to become more active on LinkedIn. So I highly recommend uh, checking me out there. Just Bianca Anderson, um, search me on LinkedIn and I'm there. Uh, I also have a not so active Twitter, professional Twitter that I'm really working to, I'm not working, but I'm hoping one day I will be more active on. And it's called, I think the handle is Binks Does SEO um, for context here at HubSpot. My nickname is Binks because we have two Biancas in our department. I have never been called Binks before in my life prior to working at HubSpot. Um, so it's been a fun little change of pace. But yes, those are the two places people can reach me. You serve many things that we haven't heard of uh, before here at the podcast, which, you know, um, by itself makes for like a good, a great episode. Um, and also it's it's very good to, to see that um, our like ways of approaching things is very much aligned uh, because yeah. as I said, many of the things that you said are things that we, um, you know, we discussed internally and started communicating to our clients uh, recently. Thank you very much uh, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this is great. Thank you so much. Thank you for staying with us until the end. Before you go, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part. You can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com awt and sign up for free. Another episode of the SaaS SEO Show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel, where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.